podcast ain't play nobody um i'm in an office i am with a banner society editor-in-chief ryan nanny i'm fairly sure that this is my personnel review and not a podcast you're doing great thanks oh that's (laughs) nice i won't be so nervous um richard and butter off right now we will be back next week with our normal schedule we're going to talk about afca and a bunch of other stuff Uh, my name is 38 godfrey at 38 godfrey uh i am part of the banner society and i guess ryan is too at banner society on instagram and twitter you can also find us um at bannersociety.com you can find us on twitch you can find us on a bunch of places Um, can we do a little uh audience survey here yeah so we were talking yesterday about the instagram for olds that you do you you have been doing it on saturdays we're gonna probably keep it going in the off season in some shape or form right absolutely i guess the question the open question and that i i would actually like feedback from from your listeners is do we need to make it kid friendly Yes, we, I had this discussion with several people on New Year's Day. Um, the swears. If you have an issue with the swears, let me know. Now, not an issue with the swears on this podcast, because I feel like I was reining in um, Bud and Richard a little bit this season, and then also myself. So there will be, like, PG-13 equivalent total swearing on the show. What was, I, the thing, what was the thing that, like, the Simmons podcast used to say? It'd be like, the Subway hotline may have mature conversations. Exactly, like yeah. That. yeah. And Subway still sponsored it, so. There you go. I mean, we're good. Where are you at, Blimpies? Um, so what we can do is, uh, we can temper that Insta, though. Yes. There were, like, two shits yesterday, I think. Right, right. And a lot of people told me, yourself included, that... At that hour of the day, the conceit of the entire bit is that, like, you probably have children around. Yeah. So I should maybe tamper it. I mean, a bit. for those of you who are frustrated that a full cast member is on the show today, just know that my wife does not listen to my podcast. She does watch Godfrey's Instagram regularly. So she found out, like, what? So it, does she listen to this podcast? Probably not. No, not really. Okay. No. I was going to feel like she'd actually consume content. I that would, you I, honestly, I think I would start to have some problems if she was like, oh, yeah, I listen to every PAPN and I don't touch full cast. It would be terrifying if my wife listened to either. <laughs> And grounds for, I'm sure, something legal. Uh, Ryan, Annie, so you're here as um, you're here as the fill-in. Let's just be honest That's about fair, it. Yeah. Um, we're both in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we are kind of cleaning up after the Bulls and the playoff. We still have obviously a national championship game to go, and like the last wheezes and gasps of the Bull slate. Um, right before we started recording, I did note to Ryan that the most depressing bowl thus far is going to kick off and start playing while we record this, and that would be on Jan 2, the day everyone drags ass back to work, Cincinnati and Boston College at beautiful, historic, and probably rainy Legion Field in Birmingham at 3 p.m. Eastern will play the Birmingham Bowl. So that's by far the most depressing bowl game thus far. Congratulations. Like, what a what a shitty prize for Cincinnati. After a really fun, mm-hmm. really successful season... Go to Birmingham, play a leaderless boss. Well, I guess they've hired a coach, but still, they're, they're just like going through the motions, Boston College. Boston College fires its coach. Yes. Who never gets them past six, seven wins yep. a season. Just mired in mediocrity and his whole pablum and all the dudes and, you know, all of that runs its course. The coach they fired is now sitting in a very nice town in Fort Collins, Colorado as a new head coach and they're in Birmingham. It's good to get in. Once you get in the coaching fraternity, life's pretty good. Apparently. Well, especially if you're on that Meyer tree. Okay. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about the playoff 
and we're going to talk a little bit. Um, my first note uh, when I was sending Ryan stuff was that I was impressed with the state of Kentucky. We won't lead with that. I feel like that's almost a little too on the nose for PAPN, but we, we can get to that in a second. Um, how much of the uh, sugar did you consume last night? All of it. I made the a, whole thing, but but purely from a I want to see if I can do this perspective. And I watched like an endurance sport. Yeah, I watched all of it. I said I was not going to snarkily tweet during it. I honestly don't think that I would have had anything that snarky to say because it was like it was fine. Like Georgia, I, I'll, I'll give this to Georgia. Georgia did not look bored to be there. The players who were on the field, which for Georgia was not all of the starters by any mm-hmm. means, did look fired up, did look invested. Like I think Georgia did not want to be embarrassed and lose to another team from Texas, but like I don't know. Georgia's got way more talent on the field than Baylor does. I the was, end. Uh, I was angry because it was exactly fine. Yeah. It wasn't enough for us to move it into a meme territory or really, really get in there and just roll around in the sty. Yep. Like, we didn't get a 3-2. We didn't get a 9-6. It felt like it was going to be like that in about a quarter and a half through. Um, it was as boring as I thought it would be, for sure. It's and, always bad when the memorable part of your bowl game is, oh, our quarterback got very badly injured, and we talked about his history of getting very badly injured. It was it was bad television. I mean, that's the yeah. biggest affront you could yeah. say. I will say this: um, I I got three quarters, almost a full three quarters in. Said screw it. Got out my iPad to turn on Mandalorian. Made it nine minutes in, and I was like, I'm so sleepy from watching this game. <laughs> and I was like, as I faded off to sleep, unable to even consume other television, I was like, damn you, Baylor, Georgia, damn you to hell. Um, so I, the the issue remains. I know that there have been entertaining partner games. I'm still completely convinced that we have to blow everything up that's not related to the actual playoff that determines the national champion. But since we've started the playoff, we have partner bowls. Obviously, they rotate between the orange, the sugar, the rose, the cotton, the peach, and the fiesta. Um, When those games are not hosting playoff semis, you have a wildly differentiating value or quality of play. Ryan Nanny, how... In just terms of watchability, would you rate the non-playoff partner bowls this year? Um, as a whole, I'll give them like a B minus. Here's here's what I did that I think changed the enjoyability level of these games. I stopped watching them in terms of I want to see this team play, and I started watching them from the perspective of I would like to see this player. And so, like, the Orange Bowl is a really good example of that. Nobody expected Virginia to win that game. And the fact that Virginia, you know, kept the score as close as they did was Mm -hmm. really a testament to what they've done all season. But if you went to that and just said, I want to see Bryce Perkins play at least, like, 85% of a pretty decent Florida defense— Okay, now you got a pretty good game. He threw four touchdowns. I think he ended up with the highest passing yards against Florida this year. And if you just look at it as I'm kind of going to watch these little exhibitions of individual talent, I think you can get more out of it sometimes. Um, this is a very NBA yes, mindset. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Like, I'm not watching this game because I actually care if the trailblazers are going to win i'm watching because i think dame lillard is super fun and 
I railed against this for years as a team first person and like someone who bases all his rooting on where he's from. But then I was blessed with the Atlanta Hawks, which are one of the worst teams with the best, <laughs> most interesting player in the NBA. So I call it Instagram consumption, which is how I view the Hawks. Um, okay, so I have all the NY6 Bulls pulled up since the advent. Um, it's funny because if you listen to the show, I've complained year in and year out since we've created the system that the G5 is sent to die in an otherwise temporarily meaningful game or completely meaningless game, depending on what happens, where you have you know, a red-hot Houston team and Tom Herman go in and beat Jimbo Fisher's Florida State, and then instant narrative establishment is that, of course, that you know they didn't care, they didn't want to. This year, the best game of the partner games has to be the Cotton Bowl, Penn State and Memphis, could, in terms of watchability. You could make a case for the Rose, but but the Cotton Bowl was certainly excellent. Mm-hmm. And the Cotton Bowl was, like, good trading punches for punches. Again, if you wanted to just watch, like, one player go crazy, Micah Parsons had a hell of a day. Yeah, it was. I, I thought that was a great game to watch. I'm conflicted now because as I go through and look at these, and I'll rattle them off in a second, most of these schedules are of the non-playoff partner bowls the g5 exhibition whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. ends up being the most interesting game so just to refresh from last year when you take the two semis out of it you had do you have any memory in your cortex right now of the florida michigan game last year yes only because i work with spencer hall and he wouldn't stop he hasn't stopped talking about it wow yeah that is a dedicated also also the end of the game was very funny because the florida players like did the whole Pop and Whaley's chopper right. thing, and, and Jim Harbaugh didn't know what to do about it. Um, otherwise, you had in the consolation game last year UCF losing to LSU forty to thirty-two. Ohio State beat Washington in the Rose twenty-eight twenty-three. Another like really deceptively good-looking box score, yeah. but a game that I'm just sort of like it, it was it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Texas so, upsetting Georgia, yep. which was sort of the the one. Um, and then that's it. So you go back further before that. So I think, so right now we're about what par with last year, yep. roughly. Yeah. Okay. All right. 2017, same situation. You have the peach orange fiesta and cotton, Ohio state, USC, awful game. Yes. Cotton Bowl. Yes. Absolutely horrific. Yeah. Um, and one of the definitions of like, put the helmets on the field, feel really good about it, completely arbitrary. And it felt that way the entire time. It was also weird to have like, here's a classic Rose bowl game. It's not at the Rose bowl. It felt it was so weird. Even when I just read that, now I did a double take right, when I saw it was right. the, it was the cotton uh, in the Fiesta that year. You had thirty five twenty eight Penn State over Washington, decent, sure, fine, yeah. okay. Um, do you remember who played in the Orange Bowl? This is going to feel really really weird for a second. I from the do ACC not. specifically. We're going to talk about this school in a second. I'm going to tease you out. You am I, I'm, am I going too far back if I say UNC? I think I'm going too far back. Yeah, it's Wisconsin and Miami. Oh right, yeah. Miami was ten yes. and two a couple years ago. This was the yes, and this was the Miami team that looked like they were going to play an ace, like a, basically a playing game in the mm-hmm. ACC championship, and then they lost a bit. They died horribly, uh, and then Auburn was upset by UCF, and thus begat the UCF belongs. I don't know is Notre Dame the national basically. that was the national yes, championship that was, game. Yeah. That was that. Yep. It's when they won the national championship. Uh, very quickly to go back to sixteen, and then I think I'm sort of arriving at my point here, uh, throwing out the semis in the orange. Florida State and Michigan. That was a one-point win for Florida State over Michigan. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, in the Sugar, you had Oklahoma beating a sort of bored-looking Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Rose, you had a really good game. 
USC and USC Penn State. State. Yeah, yep. that's the one Jason Kirk was at. Mm-hmm. In the Cotton, you had Wisconsin uh, in Western, Western Michigan. Michigan. That score is way closer than I remember, 24 to 16. I think, I, as I recall, Western made it a game late, but it wasn't really. So in the beginning of the year, yeah. I pulled a quote from a coach that I was having a confidential conversation with about flipping these bulls into week zero or week one, like, kickoff games. Mm-hmm. Yep. Of the ones that I just rattled off, and I still don't really know what the hell to do with the G5, but a game like Florida State and Michigan that was a one-point win that was allegedly fun to watch, mm-hmm. and most of these Rose Bowl pairings, et cetera, et cetera, would they not just be better served by rewarding the team with having a great Week Zero game? They'd be. What I think the interesting thing is how different they would make the following season because you talk about like Michigan, Michigan playing Florida State – at the start of the following season is very, very different from Michigan playing Florida State in a bowl game. Same with Michigan-Florida. Like, you make those games, you take those games and you move them into, like, okay, this is actually how your season starts instead of how a season that probably a lot of your fans are already disappointed in ends. And, like, the emotional tenor is just so very different. Um, I just did Nashville Radio today, and we were talking about something that Bud mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago, which is that... Indiana Tennessee is in no way like a especially appealing game, but you have excited fan bases. Mm-hmm. And Bud made a good point. We talked about it on the radio today. You can't say that about, but maybe four or five non-playoff games. Correct. That's a problem. I so I have a probably bad idea, but I, th- I think the thing we should do with bowl season is break up most of the P five P five games. Go on. I think. The group, I think the way to add a little more drama and meaning and also potentially long term value is to make these make more of these games group of five versus power five games because right now you're getting three or four American P5 games in bowl season, and that's just really like a vestige of hey, you used to be the big east, and other than that, it's like two to four other ones, and I think like. The more we can give the Louisiana Techs of the world an opportunity to say, like, okay, no, you're not going to go to the national championship. You're not going to get the New Year's Six game. But here's an opportunity to beat a name team in a power conference. That is how you start to build national awareness of G5 teams, right? Like, beating another G5 team in bowl season is not doing anything. It, it is, we are literally quarantining a lot of interesting group of five teams in the season where we know. Okay, if we start pairing you with a Virginia Tech, a uh, Oklahoma State, like that will get more eyes on you. And if you can spring that upset, you can start to become, I think, like a little miniature version of Boise State, where you say, I have built a profile now. What do you do with the P5s? How do you incentivize the P5s to go along with it? I think, I think well, I mean, like they're not going to like it from a monetary perspective because right. they're going to say whatever. Because we're hitting the same point that the problem now with yeah. the, the one game that follows this path yeah. in the New Year's Six where you just have a flat-ass performance from a P5 so team. So I think you keep I think you keep the like top-tier P5 games intact. Like you say, okay, the sugar, the orange throws, like all of those. To me, it's everything else below the list. And then I'll tell them like, look, you're not actually that much happier when, you know, like Auburn, is it that much better that you lost to Minnesota? Do you feel good because you lost to a Big Ten team? And then I call them cowards. And then I say, if you don't agree to this, like, what are you scared of? Shouldn't you be winning 90% of these games if you're as good as you say you are? I think the ideal circumstance is sort of a blend of what we're talking about, where you just get rid of 
any affiliation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. We really can't say that sentence enough, by the way. We've written about it. We've podcasted, I think, on both shows at this point. Like, get rid of the affiliations after the playoff. By, oh, uh, and also expand it to eight. Um, then, what? Like, wouldn't you make a big board? Because these are exhibition games designed to make money. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't you create a big board and you would put Tennessee, Indiana, right. Louisiana Tech, yep. Cincinnati. Like put the teams where the fan bases are really excited at the top rather than put Notre Dame's not a good example because it is like such a right. – the brand has such liquidity no matter where right. you go. But so um, like a, a really exhausted Virginia Tech team in the Belk Bowl. Yep. like. That isn't appealing to me. If I am the Belk Bowl, would I not draw in? And Virginia Tech played Kentucky, so Kentucky's happy-ish, right? Because they're sort of like running the especially because like the way the season started for Kentucky, and we're going to talk about them more later. I think, yeah, like, it didn't like getting to a bowl game at all. Frankly, seemed like an improvement based on the first month. Um, we could prattle on about this, but I do want to make a quick transition. Do you want to talk about how good the state of Kentucky is in football, yeah. or how bad Miami is in football? Oh man. Let's talk, let's let's do that. Let's do the Miami thing. Twenty twenty, New Year, New Us. Let's try to be positive instead. Oh shit! Let's try to talk okay. about Kentucky. Um, um, yeah, so I, I jotted this down just as a quick thought that I want to kind of sit with in the off season because it has different prongs on it. But you have the three major programs in well, the three FBS programs in Kentucky: uh, Louisville, Western Kentucky, and Bowling Green, and then UK. All of whom had really remarkably good years for different reasons. Louisville and WKU are kind of in a similar situation. WKU has obviously the smallest margin, smallest margin for success. They invested a ton of money at the time for Sunbelt and then even for the CUSA that they ended up in into their resources, facilities, all that kind of stuff, their stadium. They still have not really lit the fan base on fire despite winning a ridiculous amount of games with people like Jeff Brom. But they got off the script with Mike Sanford. It just didn't work. The roster had also they they sort of double triple mortgaged the roster with a lot of different transfer eligibility issues and then you know the good old finger quotes culture problems and it all kind of paid off against Sanford and what a lot of people told me in the off season was was that mismanagement by Mike Sanford for two years yes but it was also WKU regressing back very respectable season not a great roster they've done extremely well under Helton I've been very impressed. Going to Louisville, I don't know how we can give this the amount of attention it probably deserves. Louisville was awful. And I tweeted something. I tweeted about this after they beat Mississippi State in the Music City. And I think a Louisville player retweeted it. I couldn't tell. Or someone connected to the roster. I said they had one of the worst rosters in college football. And I think they took offense to that on a personnel level. They may not have. I, I use that as a quote from multiple coaches that I had spoken with in the offseason. I don't think that they had the worst roster in terms of pure, measurable talent. I think it was the most mismanaged roster, the the probably the poorest coached roster, especially in the in the Power Five. One of the least happy rosters. Miserable human yeah, beings. Sure. Miserable human beings. Um, it is always. It was fun this year as well. Anytime Louisville would win a game that they weren't absolutely expected to win, like against an FCS opponent, people would just bring up like, God, this is what it's like. There was always a like in memoriam, shitty uh, Bobby Vitrino anecdote. And then Arkansas (laughs) fans would jump into. It was great. 
Um, and then, not that you as a Falcons fan, so <laughs> I have nothing yeah. to say. Uh-huh. Um, God bless Mike Zimmer. Anyway, um, Louisville seems to be like completely reestablished back on track. They're recruiting very well. Now, in the meantime, what someone in Kentucky might tell you if they followed football being the second most important, that second most important sport in that state, Kentucky is recruiting in Louisville very, very well in the absence of Louisville these last couple of years. Petrino, one of his major deficits was recruiting. Kentucky is now a consistently successful SEC program. I'll say that one more time. They are a consistently successful SEC program. You have Georgia and Florida as a different class of program. Kentucky is more consistent and successful than Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina. Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Yeah. Flat out. So for us to say that, they now the problem is along the way they haven't done anything that's remarkable on a national level they've done some things that were remarkable for them they've bested louisville as a program at least temporarily the end of the florida streak like the florida streak was that a big, wasn't yeah. nothing no for them it's huge yeah. i don't know how much that resonates nationally um not having to hear it every year honestly right. is probably enough um i had people ask a lot like have different sort of versions of the ask papian question about what's louisville's ceiling or how long does Kentucky sustain? Does Kentucky, is Kentucky doing this in the absence of X, which is what a lot of mm-hmm. people always talk about. Like that bottom, anytime a bottom half SEC team is successful consistently or has like a nine or 10 win season, you just figure they're filling negative space from the deficiency of another program. Right. I don't know if any of these programs have to get bad by the laws of college football anytime soon. So I want to focus on Kentucky in particular because the story – the national story, and the one we certainly embrace, and for good reason, was Lynn Bowden. You know, mm-hmm. converted wide receiver who steps in and d- is more than just admirable, is is flat good for Kentucky, a quarterback. But what I was really impressed by was the defensive turnaround, because this was a team that lost its defensive coordinator, only brought, I think, four starters back on defense, and they started the year really poorly. The first five games allowing nearly six yards per play. And in the back part of the season, the last seven games, they dropped that all the way to four and a half yards per play. And the look, Lynn Bowden had a great season and did great things for them, but the defense was the, was the side of the ball that, A, got better as the year went on, and, B, kept them in a lot of these games. Even some of the losses, like the Tennessee loss was not on the defense. The defense gave them every chance to win that game. And the fact that Kentucky could lose so many starters, including maybe the best individual defensive player they've had, or at least in that conversation, and Josh Allen, good Josh Allen, and, and still end up with not just a competent defense, but arguably a good one, that to me suggests... This is not a bubble. This is a program that is good at identifying talent and good at developing it. So with the exception of Florida is their first loss, mm-hmm. and their last loss of the regular season was Tennessee. The other teams they lost to, yeah, I'm going to include Georgia in this, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Georgia. Kentucky became a noticeably better team later in the year than all three of those programs, right. Georgia combined, like Georgia included. Yes. Margin's a little smaller there. So yeah. I'm getting at, if you pose a rematch, especially with Mississippi State and South Carolina, chances they are that. they, don't want they that. win that game. Yeah. And you're, you're talking about a team with two SEC losses. It's, this is something that is, it is arrived at in such an unspectacular way that unless you stop and really kind of sit with, 
what's happened at UK, yep. just, just game by game and season by season, and there's no off-season hype with recruiting. They had Florida on the ropes again. Florida, I think, needed 19 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to win that game. And they basically... Well, they missed the field goal, right? Right. Yeah. And they basically only won in part, or I should say at least in part, because Felipe Franks gets injured that game, Kyle Trask comes in, and they weren't... Pre- like they had no- Literally, there's no tape on Kyle Trask. We've heard all season about how he hasn't started a game since middle school. There's no way to prep for the dude. It was it was jarring, and I don't think it's an indictment of anything to do with Kentucky or any other program, but I do remember when Trask came into that game, all of a sudden it was just like you didn't do your homework. Correct. And and the defense was very sort of hands-on-hips about it. But before but, that, like they were absolutely holding their own against a good Florida team. All right, now I'm going to do the requisite off-season because we're now we're, – yeah. we're, we're like – Almost off season. Yeah, is that I just look ahead at their schedule next year. Okay. But here's I will say this: they get the Bud Elliott stamp of approval and scheduling. Okay, for what they have, they play Louisville every year, right? right? The other team that we're complimenting. Right. They live in the SEC and they understand the margins in the SEC. Next year they have Eastern Michigan. Mm-hmm. They have Kent State, mm-hmm. Eastern Illinois, and Louisville. That's that is a Bud Elliott big what's, green check. And what's the West rotation next year? The West me? rotation is that they are at Auburn. Okay. And then their permanent is Mississippi State. Right. So they'll get Mississippi State okay. at home next year. Honestly, that could be way worse. That's what you do worse. to keep going to these yeah, bowls. Yeah, sure. And as a resident of Nashville, and as you will soon learn as you live here a little longer, if they were to go to the Music City next year, there would not be apathy. There would be 50, uh, maybe 40,000, depending on the weather, Kentucky right. fans that would drive down right. and pack that place out. Yeah. Kentucky loves Nashville. It's insane. Um. I'll do the the brief negative bit on Miami since I don't want to leave you hanging on. It doesn't have to be brief. All I'm saying is if you put together FIU, a Duke team that did not go to a bowl game, I don't believe, and shut out to Louisiana Tech. I I haven't looked through this up, but I suspect in modern Miami history you cannot find a more embarrassing, more depressing, more loathsome three game loss streak than that. Because they they've look they've had chunks where they can't win games, mm-hmm. but this is not Wisconsin beat our beat our brains in in a bowl game. This is Louisiana Tech asserted total control over us for most of the game. This is FIU's kicker was throat slashing us in a baseball stadium <laughs> that used to be our home. Like and 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 what really what boggles my mind about all of this is that. This is, yes, Manny Diaz is in his first year, blah, blah, blah. Despite the whole temple, you know, three days of work or whatever, this was essentially an internal internal continuity. So I don't understand how Miami, A, showed no progress year over year, and if anything, like, slipped majorly in some ways. They still don't know who their quarterback should be. They haven't... They, they entered week one with really a no firm idea of who should play the most important position for them. And they have entered bowl season with all three of the possibilities playing, none of them playing particularly well and no clarity on that. That's crazy to me. Also real fast. They, Dan Enos disappears from the Alabama coaching staff overnight to the point where I, I had one anecdote from the building where it went like hour by hour of like when he got his shit out of his it's office. like 24. Very much. <laughs> slightly less dramatic. The same amount of torture. Um, escapes Thief in the Night to Coral Gables where the big 
the big consistent theme about the Alabama coaching turnover, this is just as an aside very fast, was that um, it was a quality of life thing, that everyone would leave for a quality of life. Like you had, you had an O-line coach leave Alabama to become an O-line coach at a developing Georgia Tech program. Right. Right. So like you had a lot of those moves where you were seeing people like, like Gaddis could have stayed and, and contended to become OC. He leaves. Um, Danny Nose got fired after a year. One year. After a year. And again, to, just to piggyback on something you said, this was supposed to be the consistency move. This was supposed to be, well, whatever it is that we didn't agree with with Rick in terms of personnel and decision-making the coaching staff, well, we're going to hire Manny Diaz where Rick won't fire these people and Manny will. Manny is from Miami, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The big question I remember asking on the show last offseason was, can you build can you build a team almost entirely out of a transfer portal? Right. It would seem the answer is no on the first run. Yeah. We're not a good team, I should say. Yeah. Not a good team. Yeah. Um, I know what Bud would say. Bud is not um, tight with his opinion on Miami. But you like <laughs> you, you went to Florida. Yes. Um, I mean, you saw, by the way, you saw them play Florida to a four-point loss. Mm-hmm. And did not, I mean, other than the O-line, was not horrific in any like particular group. No, as week one games go, you were like, okay, yeah. th- there's like something here. They lost to a good North Carolina team by three, like, and then it just turns to shit. And right. the theory that I had, you and I discussed this before we were recording, was that if not for the fact that not only did Florida State fire Willie Taggart, but Miami essentially fires Willie Taggart, yeah. we would be talking about this nationally. The big, the, the editorial, we much, much more. But this is a terrible Miami team by Miami Miami standards. Yes. So what do we? What in the world do you do? As D, it seems like you've played so many PR narrative cards up front. I left a job for this after four days. I came home. We're going to change the way this roster looks. Like you need year zero narratives for PR that you don't have because now you're in a brutal, ugly year two that looks worse than the guy that you worked for who had the job before you ever did in his tenure. Right. I. I mean. Yeah, and like recruiting wise, again, I'm not Bud, but I'll do my best impression. 17th, which is fine, but you're, you know, you're talking about no five stars coming to Miami this year. You are just a little, a little bit ahead of UNC. You are just a little bit ahead of Florida State, who definitely had a more challenging season than you did. Like, There's your your seven spots ahead of Georgia Tech. So the idea of like you ever that there was pro- I don't know where you can look at this Miami season and say here was proof of progress. And maybe that's okay. Maybe this was just your purge year where you just needed to get it all out of your system, and it's your year negative one rather than your year zero. But right. man, it was not. It was not good. It's a very long off season. Uh, a lot of things change we get in the business of certifying things and putting them in stone and then being completely flummoxed in September. And then Miami's going to play. This is what I'm getting at. This is all a preface to the lead up. If you took, if you took the state of things now and we jump nine months right now, Miami opens at home against the temple team that Manny spurred very quickly. There is a, significant chance that Temple comes in there and beats their ass. Now, I have to look specifically at what Temple loses on defense because right. they were the tone setters for a very, very good AAC team this year. So if they if they aren't uh, as deep as they were this year, there's a chance. But if you took this Temple team right now, 
they would stomp Miami in Coral Gables. One would think. Yeah. One would think. Which is really weird because then you can get into like some Al Golden level oh shit talk. He just got fired by the Lions. Let's let's leave Al Golden out of this. Oh, um, all right, let's move on. Um, the playoff. We watched the play. We watched well. We, we watched one of the playoff games and then we dispersed from the office. But um, narratively, it was about what we expected. Um, one, two, three was the real issue here. Two playing three was going to create a really competitive, memorable game, and it did. One playing four was going to be tantamount to a buy, at least in terms of resting your starters. Um, there wasn't anything earth-shattering. I'm a little dismayed right now that Ohio State's front does not get to play against Joe Burrow because mm-hmm. that is probably of what we've seen in 2019 best on best. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 Um, Joe Burrow has not been messed with, for lack of a better, more concise football term, since Alabama. In any significant way? I would say Auburn was the most messed with he has been. Right. Um, So since Alabama, it's been fairly free and easy to the point where they've played with the lead so much that it's it's hard to look at the back half of their schedule and scrutinize it against a team like Clemson or Ohio State. And I might add that I would look at this as almost interchangeably Mm -hmm. based on what we saw the other night. I would match these teams against... LSU probably the same way. In di- I think in different ways, but I think if you're talking about like maybe the same results. Yeah, yeah, I think that feels right. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, this is uh, I'm going to try and sidestep most of the nonsense to do with okay. the controversial call necessarily, and just well, say that the fact that you called it singular already proves that you're right. anti Buckeye. Oh, there you so. go. It's my conspiracy theory. Um, I also swore that I wasn't going to do this, and I'm, I I have most of the ratings, but I got it. Well, let me scratch that first. Here's what we're going to do. Can you have a memorable, fun, uh, quality, like objectively as a college football fan, say it was a quality game with shitty calls? Yeah. Right? Yes. Miami, Ohio State. Tons of them happen. Yeah. National championship. Right. Great game. Shitty right. call. Right. Okay. So we can qualify that, and we feel good about that. Michael Dyer and, was down. Okay. Well. All right. Just checking, because it seems like the baby and the bathwater are both headed out every time we talk about this game now. Right. This was a really good game. Mm-hmm. This was This was like indulgently violent in the way that people were hitting, where you were like, man, this is like good, hard-hitting football, and then you feel a little guilty about everything we know about that. <laughs> um, it was that quality game. And it was also a nice palate cleanser, because LSU and Oklahoma had such a gap between them. But uh, by and large, I think LSU matches up about what I, like I said, about what I would think uh, either one of these teams. Um, I don't know if Clemson will be able to pressure him. I'm not going to break it down schematically because I don't know, but I know that Richard had talked himself into Clemson. A lot of us had talked ourselves into Clemson. I'm not sure exactly how we did that now watching them play. Right. And yet I still sort of want to do it again. I don't know how you feel about this. So... If you if you extend if you played like eight quarters of football, I think Clemson wins that game by two scores, and the reason is wow. Clemson Clemson just showed that they were able to adjust better than Ohio State did. Ian Boyd had a really good piece on basically how Clemson came out in four two five, and Ohio State didn't really have any problems with that. Like that's how they got some of those long Dobbins runs. That's how they were able to, you know, get the ball into the red zone, even though they didn't consistently get touchdowns. 
And then they switch to inverted Tampa two, where they're basically putting three safeties on the field and just putting more like putting a robber in place to sort of shut down a lot of that middle of the field run game and some of the passing game as well. And like the Ohio State offensive productivity just declined. You combine that with what they started doing with Trevor Lawrence running the ball, and it's like, okay, Clemson, Ohio State did two things wrong. One, they gave Clemson enough space in the first half where they didn't have to like adjust and get a few bounces to necessarily come back. But also Clemson just, I don't know, did, did a better job, I think, of saying, okay, here's what worked, here's what didn't. Here's what we're going to do differently. And that ultimately, I think more than the calls, is why they came out on top and Ohio State didn't. Still still the best-looking Ohio State team I've sure. seen in years. Yeah. Right. Still feel really good about like everything they're doing. Still feels very different than Urban. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, they're super talented. Super fun, also, but also like not out coach, which is what a lot of people said. Like, here's a moment in which this this young coach no. gets his medal tested. Not at all out coach. No, I mean, like, look, did did Ohio State make a handful of decisions where you're like, mm, that might be unduly conservative? Yeah, but like, Clemson did that at points too. Clemson, I think, had at least one, maybe two points from Ohio State territory. Like, I do think it's interesting that Ohio State's only points of the second half came when they went for a fourth down came on a fourth down. I would have liked to see Ohio State up the aggressiveness in terms of those kind of decisions a little more. I mostly cuz like I think whether you're playing whether you're playing Ohio State, Clemson or LSU or Bama when they're not injured, you cannot leave opportunities on the board. You just can't. It's a bad decision. It's what they want you to do. Clemson wants you to try to play field position and try to pin him deep. Because Clemson, like, on, on the game-winning field goal drive, Clemson was pinned way deep. It took him, like, five plays to get into position. They didn't give a shit about being at the five or whatever they were. They just marched. Then why does everyone play them feeling so risk-averse? I think because, A, it's just sort of part and parcel of how coaches operate as a community at some level. But I think it's also a little bit of the stage and a little bit of fear of the tidal wave. You're just like, if we, if we get, if we go for it on fourth and we give them ball, the ball at the 40, they will definitely score. But if we punt and we give them the ball at the seven, maybe they won't. And in reality, it's, it's all playing to fear of what the bad thing could be and not trying to take control for yourself. If that makes sense. You know what else makes sense? That there's a massive media conspiracy. Yeah, 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 yeah. In that favor part two. That of part the Clemson two. Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to give this too much attention other than the fact that, yes, uh, I did get to chop it up with um, Brady Quinn. Brown's legend. Intellectual powerhouse. Um, which was funny. I, I'm not, I really don't want to be in the business of reading tweets off on a podcast, but uh, this was a widely held opinion and it has like mutated into different arguments that Ohio State was screwed somehow by ESPN to push an LSU Clemson national championship. Now, you could definitely argue that the calls were bad, but if you go through the ratings and I looked at the ratings of every, I got bored last night. I looked through the ratings of every week this season, every postseason since the playoffs started, and inarguably, until two years ago, Clemson was not 
what you would consider to be an anchor tenant for high ratings, okay? What you see, and, it, and I actually recommend you do this. You can use Sports Media Watch because it's open. It's like open source. You can go through and, and I'm not going to do the TV ratings because it's a little arbitrary in how they're determined. But if you just look at total viewership, uh, Ohio State is probably next to Notre Dame, the single biggest draw. And the only reason I say that is because the SEC on CBS is so powerful and it's time slots right. that you can interchange brands like Alabama and LSU and not really see any variation. Here's what I can tell you. A couple things. I'm going to ask you a question. What is the highest rated college football game in the modern era? So let's say the advent of the BCS and on. Right. I think you told me this answer, but I remember you said Oregon-Ohio State National Championship was quite high. That was the second most okay. viewed right. Then I don't game. know. Then I don't know. It's the Rose Bowl between uh, Texas, Texas and USC. Texas, USC. 2006. Okay. Yep. Uh, the second highest rated college football game in the modern era was Oregon and Ohio State in the playoff final. It's 35, 36 million, I believe, yeah. total viewers. There's a significant drop-off and basically a consistency with the Alabama-Clemson rematches right now. Okay, so you're seeing, like, I think it's like 25 million in total viewership and it essentially just stays that way every time they show up against each other. Anytime you see Ohio State in the postseason, you're seeing an addition. In fact, when we saw Alabama-Georgia, that had 4 million more viewers than the average of the Alabama-Clemson games. My point is this. One, Ohio State is inarguably a brand that you would not have a conspiracy against if you wanted television ratings. That's one thing I want to make abundantly clear. The second thing is these things need variation. Right. I, as an SEC graduate, you as an SEC graduate, we're sitting here in an SEC town about three miles from an SEC football stadium. This, if this continues, and this is not a knock on Clemson or, or a slight against Clemson because what they've done, in fact, if they beat LSU, we're going to be talking a lot more about Clemson in the context of building programs, mm-hmm. but this can't continue. And if it does, we're going to see a regression in total viewership. And if you don't give a shit and you're listening to this, that's fine. If you're a lifelong fan of School X and the SEC, this eventually will hurt the sport. This is why Bud and I talk about the migration patterns of, of people in Southern California and how the Pac-12 just doesn't have the resource pool to pull from. This is this is stuff that moves slowly, but if we get this reductive at the top, I don't think it's going to be good for the sport. I think it's going to be very bad. Sorry, pausing there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, other than that, I don't really want to feed into the conspiracy too much. I did think it was funny. Um, someone asked me on Twitter specifically about the conference networks, and one thing people probably don't know, the root of the whole argument was that it's good for ESPN that Clemson is in and it's good that LSU is in because they own those conference networks. Those conference networks don't submit to ratings boards usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, when you look up the Clemson-Georgia Tech game on the ACC network, that's not submitted for a rating. It doesn't have a total viewership. So... I've now beat that horse dead. Um, it is both funny and infuriating, but also like conspiracy theories are sort of the genesis of, of like good arguments in our sport. I do think there's something to it, and I will say I found like future Banner Society content in some of the weird rating shifts that we're seeing. And if you don't care and you're listening to this and you're just a fan, you should because ultimately this these patterns and these total viewership numbers are going to impact the way that your school and your conference are treated in the future. Willie Gay. What do you know about <laughs> Willie Gay? Um, the most I know about Willie Gay is that he decided to get in a bit of a fracas during bulk bowl practice. Uh, no, sorry, not 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 Belk Bowl practice. Music City Bowl practice. They played in the Belk Bowl recently. Yeah, yeah, that's where that came um, from. And punched his quarterback and kept yes. his quarterback out of 
out of said bowl game. Um, so we do have a hashtag AskPAPN. You can get us on Twitter. And by the way, I had two people that had paid for different GoFundMes that we never got to their question. When the whole gang gets back, we will do. We will. We will make good on that. Yeah. Um, thank you for not taking us to small claims court. Um, Jacob Manley asked uh, hashtag AskPAPN on Twitter. Can you say anything to make Mississippi State fans feel more confident in Moorhead? I still believe in him one hundred percent, but I feel like I'm one of the few. So the Willie Gay thing sticks out to me because every single time this year I've poked my head in and checked on Mississippi State as a football team in the second year of Joe Moorhead, um, something Willie Gay has done or not done or allegedly done has colored the entire outlook of individual games, the bowl season, et cetera. It has nothing to do with the kids specifically. I think I've interviewed him once. He's fine, whatever. It has to do with this has been a really strange set of circumstances for Joe Moorhead and Starkville. In no way, shape, or form does this feel like he owns this roster. This feels like guys who played for Dan Mullen, especially on defense that were recruited by Grantham, and they have not made it their own in any stretch. The Tommy Stevens experiment did not go well because of injury at all. You had people that were openly campaigning for Keaton Thompson during the game because of uh, I mean Stevens was so inconsistent. Maybe he was always going to be that way, but he was pocked by injury throughout the year. Then you have this freshman phenomenon and Trader come in. You kind of felt like they were opening up. Um, you want to see a really interesting game in terms of like diverging paths. Go back to September and watch that K State Mississippi State game. Um, Willie Gay, by the way, if you didn't know, is also... I can't say this officially because of the way that the NCAA and Mississippi State have, have sort of manipulated this. There were a series, a, a group of players in the Tudorgate scandal that had to sit out, but they never specifically named the kids. It's just that at game time every week, certain players would sit out and Gay sat out most of the season. Right. So that's, that's as far as you can take it. Um, people are going to have hot takes about Joe Moorhead all season. I still believe it's absolutely not fair. Is, I don't know if I'm caping for this man or not. Well, okay, let me ask you this. If if you're right and it's not fully his roster and it's not a thing over which he has total ownership, is next did that expire at the conclusion of the bowl game? Next year is it okay if things do not start to show improvement, it is a reflection of you and it is it, like it is a bad sign for your viability as the leader of that program. Probably. (laughs) Probably. Um, The reason why I'm being glib is the context that these two schools in Mississippi use is so uh, dependent on the other one. So what everyone, I can tell you, and Mississippi State fans are going to be furious that I say this, but I can tell you it's true to a fault. Lane Kiffin was hired in the time in which they almost lost the Egg Bowl on an antic that was born out of keeping one coach on in the interim and Matt Luke. The same antic happens, the kid pissing in the end zone, cost Matt Luke his job. Ultimately, they hire Lane Kiffin. And now, having spent a week in Mississippi, or not a week, but a couple of days in Mississippi during the holiday break, it was talking about Schrader getting his orbital bone broken in a fight in practice combined with what's Lane going to do, what's Lane going to do. As we record this, by the way, he's hiring DJ Durkin is what he's going to do. Um the clock is this was maybe an impossible job from the jump and if you're going to be the guy you're never the guy after the guy right yes dan mullen is more the guy historically in that program than i think people understand so now you have a guy in joe moore a guy in joe moorhead a coach who is highly sought after respected rpo influence all that stuff who's almost certainly destined to be a bust at this job cool how does this happen 
you go back in time, yeah, people would still make that hire. The only the only thing I think that will actually sort of doom Joe Moorhead is it's not look wins and losses obviously matter, progression matters, all of that. But when you hire the offensive guru and your offense doesn't look that good. Doesn't guru. And doesn't get that much better. Like, that, that I think, is ultimately the problem. Yes. It's easier to, like, you know, I'll pull from personal experience. It was easier, at least, to understand Will Muschamp at Florida, what you were seeing, because you were like, these defenses are amazing. And to the extent that's what you signed up for, you're mm-hmm. like, well, I got what the package told me I was going to get. But Mississippi State has not gotten that so far. And maybe you're right, and it was a doomed experiment from the get-go. But when you hire the guru, the offense has to do well more than it has so far. They will forever carry that defensive points allowed average from last year forever. Yes. Because they could not. They lost four games. Right. They allowed less than 10 points a game. Yep. It's insane. Yep. Uh, moving on, this one is I actually picked for you because I knew you were going to be on the show because you and I, for some reason, always end up having conversations about like shitty also ran NFL coaches, sure, and just the weird like. I grew up in Tampa. You're a Falcons fan. <laughs> we have some familiarity. Um, we both understand and know what the Jaguars are. Yeah. Um, Jack Del Rio. So let me let me, let me back up. Uh, longtime listener Zach Rao. Uh, he has a, this is my newest uh, hashtag SPAP and I had a question about the dumbest coaching carousel rumor that the host had ever heard was. So I'll ask you that in a second. Right. But then he said, I have got to bring up Jack Del Rio, LSU head coach. Um, there's probably an hour's worth of conversation we can have on how slighted Ed Orgeron was both in the interim process, getting the full-time job, surviving Matt Canada, all of that. Jack Del Rio of the the names I heard that I would put like less than zero percent chance of happening was probably the dumbest candidate that I remember from that yeah. cycle. Yeah. But he also came up other times that Les was going to get fired and didn't. Yeah. Like he was a favorite. He was that guy. Yeah. This was sort of LSU's Gruden in a horrific God, that's that's just a horrible thing yeah. to say. Um what is the dumbest coaching carousel rumor that you have ever heard? Um I only know this because I did some research on it earlier in the year and like we all when you think about tennessee coaching searches you're always like john gruden john gruden john gruden but there is another nfl coach who for the first couple of searches came up in that rumor mill do you remember who it was which cycles are we talking we're about talking like how far like, back are we're we talking about like do right we? after phil leaves those like those first call them like four or five years those sitting nfl years. coach at the time, I don't know if he was sitting. I just want to ask. I just, I just want to throw out Chan Gailey because I feel it's like Bill Cower. I do remember yeah. this, and that's the thing. I yes. never, I never got it. I never got it at all. Do you know where else he got play? Where? NC State. Several. Sure. No, I like. Sure. In, though there are four or five like yeah. hardcore pack fans that yeah. listen to this. They will remember this. Bill Cower to NC State was a thing. Yeah. For a while, I think his daughter went there. Sure, whatever. It, you, we've you've talked about this before. You only need like a shred of a connection. No, and and have the greatest know. curse of all to grow uh, growing up a, a coach's child is then attending college yourself. God forbid your parent, <laughs> your, like your father, be a successful coach right, because exactly. it, the, the the implication is just loaded. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean Bill Cower. I mean he went to NC State, so I can at least give him that. But he like grew up in Pennsylvania. He. As a player, he pretty much stuck to 
Pennsylvania and Ohio, same thing pretty much as a coach. I have no idea where Bill Cowher is going to take the Tennessee job. For a guy who, like, you know, hadn't didn't have any college connection really, I don't remember him ever expressing any interest right. in the job or the program whatsoever. That that was the one I looked back on and said, wait, what? Okay, we'll say this. You are not from Nashville. You're not from Tennessee. But you have moved here. If I told you that the Steelers were the most popular team in East Tennessee, would you believe it? Yes. I think it was actually, I think there's probably, that's where the seed germinates at least. Is that when yeah. you, so a weird thing in NFL fandom is that the Steelers' popularity is national. I mean, like, they're like, a Steelers bar well, you is know, like a, well, a cockroach you know, you in your know town. Why that's, you know why that is. Uh, economics, migration, white fly, it's a not, ton it's of te- shit. It's television. It's right. television in the 70s. In the 70s. Yeah. Which is why when you go over to England and you meet an NFL fan over yeah. the age of 40, they'll have Dolphins or Redskins It's uniforms. why. It's why the Steelers have a huge Mexican fan base. They are the second most popular team in Mexico, and if you go to Mexico City, they're the most popular. Yeah. But specifically, there's a migration pattern, and it has to do with the identification both through, like, labor unions yep. and all this other stuff of Appalachia specifically taking the whole the actual steel working community you're talking about West Virginia fans who hate Pitt and love the Steelers West Virginia down yeah. into East Kentucky into East Tennessee and also I swear to you if you go to Memphis the Steelers are the most popular team that also they didn't has like this, the Titans well, that's, <laughs> so that's also born out of this the secondary thing yes. which was they thought they were getting the Titans right and I don't, I don't even remember the, the full story there, if they were lied to or if it was just like a bad assumption. Yeah. Either way, they weren't building them a stadium in Nashville was. So <laughs> I'm very proud of the ditches that we veered off to. Yeah. Well, welcome to PA Pin. We've done extremely well so what far. Is, what is your all-time stupid Oh, God. You, you'll have more. I mean. I will also say the, the brief moment when we thought Deion Sanders was in play for the FSC job was delightful. Um, when I was coming up in Mississippi – as a reporter, Brett Favre was always going to be either the next head coach of Southern Miss or the offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. So that was always a big one. Sure, Peyton, in any capacity, has always been one of my favorites right, to right, laugh at. Right. Um, I always enjoy unretirement rumors. Like Stoops kills me. Like on the Florida State thing. Like I, the the actual validity of that is much smaller than people realize. Right. And also, you can ascribe validity to anything where. Someone tells Bob Stoops, hey, Florida State just opened. He goes, ha, that'd be a fun place cool. to coach. Period. End of sentence. Yep. And all of a sudden that, you know, lives mm-hmm. on a 247 board. Um, those have been my favorite. Uh, anything, honestly, every Arkansas search is just mwah, chef's yes. kiss. Yes. Um, this one was no different. In fact, I think we'll probably have to dig through a little FOIA on this one. <laughs> Not for scandalous Petrino type stuff, but I do think the amount, I think the volume of candidates that ran through this last time and then how people were sort of weeded out will be very interesting. Not maybe Tennessee coaching search good, but that's a that's a high bar to clear. I feel like I'm going to get ahead of myself. I feel like we're two to three years, maybe less away from, oh, Andrew Luck's going to take the Stanford job. So if as we record this, yeah. David Shaw is still one of those names. Right? Yes. As we're, for, for open NFL jobs. David Shaw especially has been a name that people love to pair with the Panthers. Yeah. I mean, I guess because McCaffrey's there. I don't know. Um, sure. If they hired Andrew Luck tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, Kellen Moore is a highly sought after offensive mind. Yeah. It's not the strangest thing. That oh, one oh, no. that one feels more honest to me than than some of the like like the Peyton as head coach right. various schools. Right. 
That that one seems to just feel a little and bit look, more fantastic. And, and a rumor is born. We did it. Hashtag hire Andrew. Um, <laughs> he'd probably do a really good job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even continue with the joke because it doesn't seem that bad. Um, all right. We are uh, surprisingly running over. So I want to do, you mentioned this coach's name. So I want to do this question. Andrew Parker asked, when, when will someone hire Dave Clawson away from Wake Forest? He's done so much with that program. And even though it's the best coaching destination in all of college football, it, wait, yes. It, even though it's the best coaching destination in all of college football, <laughs> I had to reread that even though I, I've already read this. Uh, it's strange that he hasn't moved elsewhere. You got to find the right spot for Dave Clawson. You do. This is not a one big there jump to another place type of situation. It is also, I mean, so Dave Clawson has done a good job getting them from jump one to jump two, mm-hmm. which is basically like you are a perpetual two, three win team to you are regularly going to bowl games. Mm-hmm. He's done that. What he has not done is jump three, which is sometimes, not always, you are winning nine games. You are getting a big conference win. Like, they haven't done that even close. So right now, this is not very kind, this is kind of like asking why Adazio didn't get a better job out of Boston College. Because you look at these two schools comparatively, and and obviously, like, the circumstances are not exactly the same. Like, Wake Forest is winning about half of their ACC games this year. They fatten up. They, you know, they're, I think that he's one and three against Syracuse since he's been there. It's good and it's an improvement, but there isn't quite enough there that you can say, yes, he should be getting big job X, big job Y. The. The least fun answer is that he should never leave. Probably. I mean, Jim Grobe was there forever. 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 And there ever. And, and like I'm not even kidding, there is an argument to be made that once you One can an orange find, if you can be the Pat Fitzgerald of a school yes. like this, unless unless like something really, really good comes along and it's what you want to do, like you might be better off just lifering it. So you're actually doing what you're what every coach says they're doing this time of year where it's like I've got a great situation here and they don't leave. What's the alternative? Like what school is going to hire Dave Clawson and say we guarantee you you'll get 5 years? What it just I, imagine just for a second like as an adult. Yeah. The quality of life that you would have if not only you stayed, you had a good contract, but you were actually at peace with that. So if you were the sure. opposite of Mike Gundy, who and has established fan, and your fan base was at peace with yes, it too. and and so like at Oak State, massive amount of success and consistency relative to the history of Oak State. The only problem is that like every three years, Mike Gundy is just like standing across the street from Florida or Tennessee, mm-hmm. you know, begging to get in. What if you just didn't do that and you were at peace with being a perennial eight to nine to maybe a good year ten win, losing the Sugar Bowl kind of team, like right. Wouldn't that isn't that the ideal for all of these guys? I think the, the I, there's eight playoff teams. I think it can be, and I think it's colored by the fact that Dave Clawson, looking back at his Wikipedia, has exactly one year at a Power Five school, and it's went the '08 year when he's the OC at Tennessee, and he's immediately like I still remember how vilified he was, yes. how much shit he got for a team that had a lot of problems. And for a team that now, like, you don't look back and be like, in any event, I, I could definitely see 
a guy who played at Williams and came up coaching in Buffalo and Lehigh saying like, yeah, I don't actually want to get back to the place where there are rivals message boards who will talk about me that much. It's not a great life. It's great if you can pull it off. It's great if you are wired in a naturally self-toxic manner that you are going to die at 65, probably alienate whatever family you might create along the way for show purposes, and then just 90-hour-a-week yourself into the dirt. And there are people that I know in this industry who that's what they crave. Right. That's what what they believe God put air in their lungs to do. But When you look around and you're like, this is a sport where Georgia fires Mark Richt, Nebraska fires Bo Pelini, you can find multiple examples of this. Frank of, Solich. Yes. Where you can look and you can find that at like pretty much any of the like big jobs that would be a jump from yes. from uh, Wake Forest. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I, could you go into the casino with $500 and come out with 5000 Sure. But you could also just stay out of the casino and keep $500. I'll take it back to an anecdote that we've we've cut up and done a little bit with me and Bud. During the Florida State coaching search, to take it back to Kentucky for yeah. a second, they meet with uh, they meet with Mark Stoops, who has DC'd there, who is a very good Florida recruiter, who, if you didn't know, recruited a lot of the, like, the killers on the defense in Miami in the butch years mm-hmm. of Miami. Mark Stoops, by virtue of beating, I believe it was Louisville, just automatically rolled his four-plus million-dollar contract with incentives and bonuses that basically puts him at $5 million a year. Every time he wins, I believe it's seven-plus. That sounds right. He rolls it back over. Yep. Kirk Ferentz has the same kind of deal. He lives in Lexington, Kentucky. He's in a big-ass house. He does whatever he wants to. He has zero attention on him outside of roughly 10 weeks a year. And one might argue that... Like, more people are going to the Kentucky FCS game to talk about what Calipari's doing. Do you know what nobody ever says? Mark, we need to fire Mark Stoops because we didn't win the East. Never. So he, so all this, yeah. he's sitting in there with Florida State. Yeah. And Florida State, as it was told to me and Bud, was lukewarm at best. Very interested and respectful, but also sort of like not blown away. Yep. In that moment is where you make a life-changing decision of, do I reach for this? Do I, do I say, no, let me show you how bad I want Tallahassee. And then let's say you get it and you go down there and you deal with the heap of shit that that program is right now. Yeah. With APR issues, with recruiting issues, with the competitive expectations, with the funding issues, all of it. Or do you just go, I'm good. I'm going to go back home and make an automatic $5 million next year. <laughs> And by the way, my brother... And be good at my job, And be too. totally... And, and probably beat someone who, who's going to be in... He, that, he could potentially yeah. stay in the SEC and get more coaches fired than anybody. Yeah. Will Mushroom. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I just... Wow. Yeah. We'll see you next year, Will Mushroom. All right. Uh, last thing I'm going to ask you before I let you go, because you have to edit this show. That's why I, ke- I kept it at a, a nice hour. Yeah. Um, I just remember that. What was your... Um, what was your favorite non-playoff bowl game that you watched this year? I think... The the Belk Bowl was an interesting competitor for sure. Yes, but I'm going to go with the Hawaii Bowl. Wow. Um, in the first half of this game, there were ten plays of twenty plus yards. That'll do it. <laughs> like it was. First of all, it was great to like see a good Hawaii team continue to be good. First ten and five team since I don't, Jason and Alex looked this up since like 1898 or some shit like that. 
Um, a couple more games, they can get a wild card. Honestly, they should get the NFC East spot. Yeah, just give it to Hawaii. But like, I'll ask Rolovic if he wants to. <laughs> if he wants to play. Uh, well, that would be Seattle at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a home game too. I mean, yeah. they, they already play Pac-12 teams, so yeah. whatever. Um, wow. Damn. It's yeah. It was just it was just a lot of fun. BYU acquitted themselves very nicely as well. Both teams that have wins over Power Five teams this year, like it was just a it was just a fun football game where you're like, okay, we're gonna go back and forth. There's gonna be a lot of exciting, a little bit of stupid, mm-hmm. and in the end, you got a close game with a lot of big plays and Cole McDonald being extremely Cole McDonald. And yeah, it was just and it's Christmas Eve, so. Uh, I didn't watch a stitch of it because it was Christmas Eve. Yeah. I was at my in-laws with like a hundred other Louisianans. Um, but I would have picked that one. Because you did, and I knew that, yeah. I defaulted to, uh, because you were on the show, you wrote something I really liked after Army-Navy, which was basically taking a game that was otherwise forgettable and rainy, we were there, and celebrating Malcolm Perry. And so I picked the Liberty Bowl because... Mm-hmm. On bowl standards, bowl terms, you either want something that you can maintain casual, consistent conversation with awkward relatives with. That, that's kind of the Christmassy bowls where you're like, man, I hope this Sunbelt and Mac team score a lot of damn points so we can just watch that while I talk yep. to my wife's yep. uncle or it's whatever. It's kind of like watching a Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah. Like, oh, neat. Like, like every I don't know what's six, happening here, but a car just blew up. Every six minutes you can make a, enough of a comment to keep a conversation alive Correct. while you drink yourself into a sort of like, not drunkenness, <laughs> but like, ex, like just sort of. A quietness. A neutralness emotionally. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other setting for a bowl is like after the holidays where you're sneaking in the nap you would not normally take on like a Tuesday. Yep. There is virtue in the pace in which K-State and Navy play each other. If it's not a blowout, it's very languid and wonderful. And I kind of feel like I have to cape for this because I'm such a triple option devotee. And like you got K-State, again, on the list with Virginia, with Louisville, these teams I feel like we just don't talk enough about. K State is like back and better than this than like they, they could be and I know it's only one season and right, you, you temper right. my you, you temper this if you want but like right. K State could be more K State than they ever were because they made a great hire and it was also not the first hire they were going to make right this is this doesn't happen a lot you make a concession hire you have the ghost of Snyder not the ghost sorry but like you have the weight <laughs> he's not he's alive I swear to God um, you have the pressure. Of the Bill Snyder family stadium. The Spectre. Ha- hanging over yeah. you. I think the Spectre, no, no, he was always dead in the DC yeah. universe. Yeah. Um, and yet they've had, I mean, they beat a playoff team. Yep. They are doing exactly what you have to do, not need to do, but have to do to be successful at K-State. But then they're also, they've been innovative on offense. They're not, they're not the same offense as they were under Snyder. And they're also not the exact same offense that you saw at North Dakota State. And so I'm very intrigued by them. Um, and I said this on the Instagram, but I also like the all-white uniforms. This was a game that was boring on the surface, that was a good nap game if you were a casual fan, but also like two programs that you can get very excited about. And also, maybe this is how I can come to peace with the way the G5 is treated in the New Year's Six. Let's think about if Navy had the spot that Memphis had. Right. Whether they beat Penn State or not, mm-hmm. that showcase game for a service academy and the magnitude of that would do those guys justice in a way that I don't think anything else could. Yeah. So true. Navy obviously is the only one who can do it. Because by virtue of like if they were to go through and run through the AAC schedule, they would have that spot like the other UCFs and Houston's before them. Army can't do it because their schedule's not going to be strong enough. Um, 
I would really like to see that in the coming years. So that was my pick. Okay. Because it was interesting to me for the offseason, and also I didn't nap during it, but if you were to put it on right now, sure. there's no way you wouldn't nap during the game. I'm going to force you to do one more question. Okay. I want to do this save and or. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I threw it in there just in case. Okay, yeah. Um, so this is, okay, I just want to say this. This is going to infuriate and excite almost in equal, in equal parts the hardcore old school PA PNers. Because this segment, when they're Bill not, Connolly was they're here. Not, they're, I'm on the show. They're not silly. They were out They're not listening. In. They're yeah, like, fuck it's this. fine. Uh, people either loved and, and died hard when Saban Orr left yeah. or hated it from the jump. Yep. Um, so we did pull a Saban Orr. Um, I believe it's Dan Globacar, who's probably one of our MVP question askers. First Saban Orr of the year. Maybe the last. Inquisitors. Maybe the last. Inquisitor. Oh, that sounds that's, like, he, that sounds like he's coming a, for my gold That's or a something. good title, right? Dan Klobuchar, Inquisitor. Um, shout out to Dan. First Saban Orr of the year. Maybe the last. Number of years Harbaugh. <laughs> Saban Orr, number of years Harbaugh coaches Michigan. I'll let you go first. Harbaugh coaches Michigan. I just don't. Like, I get, I get why we're here. I get that they have not gotten the statement wins that they need. I get that they haven't had the quarterback development that they need. I don't know what the alternative is. You already did the go get the big hot name within the sport with Rich Rod. That went terribly. You already did the go get the safest, most Michigan man you can find with Brady Hoke. That went terribly. Jim Harbaugh is indisputably doing consistently better than both of his predecessors. And if you just judge him on a how many wins per year are you averaging is basically Lloyd Carr. They're both winning like mm. nine and a half games per year. And Jim Harbaugh is doing that while losing all of his bowl games at the same time, which Lloyd Carr wasn't doing. I know it sucks that you can't beat Ohio State. I know it sucks that sometimes you don't even look competitive against Ohio State. I, but like to me, you look back. I, could, I looked back through his entire tenure so far at Michigan. I can only find three games that Michigan has lost that they should have won. The Michigan State game with the blocked punt in the rain touchdown in the rain. The uh, I think it's the sixteen two thousand sixteen Iowa game that they lose by a point. Yes, and the Outback Bowl where I was in attendance in costume. And South Carolina comes back. Yes, yes. Other than that, while these losses are not what Michigan fans want, they are all sensible on paper. The they lob. are all like, if we're playing, this will appeal to Michigan fans in the perfect way. If we're playing risk and we're just looking at who Nerds. has more armies, like, yeah, you are not getting the roles you need to get, but this is how risk works. The problem isn't the losses other than Ohio State. The right. problem is the losses to Ohio State. Right. That is first, second, and third. Yes. It's that he also has no signature moment. Which is Correct. what, I, so I just did radio today, and I, and I looked at it the opposite way. If you go through and look at his signature moments, the highest ranked team and rankings are not a great metric, but it's an easy, like, lazy one. The highest ranked team he's beaten was this year in the rain against Notre Dame. Yep. I don't know if Wolverine fans are necessarily saying, that's our moment, return to glory, mm-hmm. our version of, mm-hmm. you know, wake up the echoes, yada, yada, yada. The biggest problem is they have it. Ohio State is instantly that moment. If they if they climb that, it's mountain. just three years late. Sure, the expiration date on that is now at three three seasons. Okay, who who if Jim Harbaugh's out tomorrow? If Jim Harbaugh takes 
They, they, takes they, any job. Who are they? Who who are they hiring? No, and po- who is that person who is? If we're talking about a coach who's getting you nine, ten wins now, who are they getting? Who you're like confident is getting them eleven or twelve? No, no, no. Let me back up. Your point yeah. stands, and I totally agree with you. What I'm enjoying now is the self-made hell because purgatory sucks man. <laughs> because well especially when you build it yeah you told us you could win the michigan way yes. you told us you could be harvard in the classroom and the cowboys on the field and all of that nonsense right yeah you have now done worse than being bad because if he was bad you could have fired him and then you would have gone out and hired i don't know by the way Les miles uh that was a joke unless it's not so a couple years it wasn't exactly a couple years it wasn't and that's not less miles telling me that that's like legitimate people the problem now is you're not bad the problem now is you're exactly very good which for any other pro imagine if iowa has this imagine if even nebraska now has right. this right and this is sort of the ideal wisconsin existence isn't it i guess so it is a wisconsin existence yeah you are wisconsin that one. See, there you go. Sometimes I, mean, I don't even try and I get them hard. I mean, but here's the thing. And and Wisconsin is a good corollary for this. I really think the difference between Jim Harbaugh cannot get a signature moment and Jim Harbaugh, even if it's not Ohio State, gives us a season that we can all feel very proud of is just find a damn quarterback. The one thing that I He had a quarterback. Who? Shea Patterson. Were, Shea Patterson is the answer here. Did you? How many Michigan games did you watch? Shea Patterson was not the issue here, and I think okay. reasonable Michigan fans will now say this. Okay. Josh Gaddis wasn't the issue. Okay. Let's keep going backwards. Yeah. I got a lot of like I got a lot of Instagram questions on yeah, New Year's right. morning about right. James Coley. Right. Maybe James Coley isn't the problem. Okay. Maybe there's a fundamental offensive philosophy or lack thereof or refusal to evolve. Okay. You cannot look at the Michigan offense this year and not see either tampering or it, it wasn't an aha moment where a suddenly difficult concept clicked for Shea Patterson. Mm-hmm. The guy that I saw throwing perfect ropes, Spencer and I, Spencer Hall and I were watching this because we were laughing a little bit about how aggressive he was. And then like the next seven passes he rattled off were just perfect down the sideline when they, we were at the game in Bloomington. That guy is not, and that offense is not the one that barely beats Army. There's clearly an issue of cooks in the kitchen. This isn't the first time this has happened. Right. This is more or less the Kirby Smart issue. Oof. And it's sort of the same in that okay. you're, you're looking, ideally, although Michigan fans would never admit they're, they're trying to replicate Ohio State in any sense, Georgia's obviously trying to ape from Alabama. Alabama yeah. Evolve or die at this point. I, I can't sure. come up with anything yeah. wittier or more like concrete with these with these head coaches that refuse to embrace offense. So that's an issue. The, all of the sort of fart huffing nonsense that we we live in on social <laughs> is not necessarily the issue, but, but it, it is fun. Help. It doesn't. Help. No, it doesn't help. Right. It doesn't help when they're when they're angry that Joe Burrow didn't go to class for real. Right. It doesn't look. It doesn't even look right amongst college football fans, that's where you go instinctively. Well, it looks very much like, how long were you in the coma for? And when did you wake up and start thinking, start being surprised that the academic experience of football players in the Power Five does not mirror the academic experience 
of regular students in the Power Five. So here's the deal. Yeah. There's three categories in Michigan football right now. Yeah. And this is what I need to know to pass judgment on Michigan. Okay. Are you a zealot and you believe all this nonsense that we see? Okay. Right? Are you one of the oppressed and you are forward thinking, trying to build out what Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama and all these programs have? Which you have to be a minority of right now. You, yeah. If there are any, if there are any voices like that in the program in Ann Arbor, they're very, very quiet right. or, or stamped out completely. Or, and I'm fine with the middle ground. Are you just a hypocrite? And I'm cool with that because I know a lot of hypocrites in college football, where you're saying one thing and trying to do another. Is it possible to be not a hypocrite, but a we cheat less or we cheat more honorably? Like is the, is I, I'm, that sounds absurd, but like is it possible to say yes, we pay players, but we do hold them to a different academic standard than we do than our competitors? There's a way to do that. Why not? I mean, I know I know Jim Harbaugh can't. I said that. I said that very evil. <laughs> but, um, this is the consulting firm. I wish I could open. Yeah, I still think if you ask me, it's, to go back to the core of the game, if it's Saban or. I think I have a very hard time saying Jim Harbaugh is gone, doesn't get at least two more years, probably at least three. I have a very hard time saying that. Could they have a terrible season that turns all this on its head? Sure. Could he say, I'm done with this, an NFL job is open that I will take? Absolutely. If you're asking me three years of Jim Harbaugh versus three more Saban titles – Given the overall balance of power in the sport right now and the fact that Bama is not alone at the top of the mountain, I will take Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. I would like to point out one thing before we kill this. This idea that Harbaugh can parachute back into the NFL is an assumption. Sure. The NFL's bias and uh, trend whoring moves at a much more rapid and almost like myopic pace than than college does which is saying something is this like a food trend is he like truffle oil i mean like, I, yeah, we were doing that no i think he's sun-dried tomato and it's 1994 <laughs> uh we're at we're at a situation now where i think joe brady can get an nfl head coaching job because zach taylor did right but i don't know who's lining up for jim harbaugh okay that's just something that we folks should consider Unless it's Does the, it matter? Unless it's the Browns. This is the dumbest question I'm ever going to ask. Does it, was, it matter that John Harbaugh is doing well? Is the NFL just stupid enough to say... I don't know. I think the answer is maybe. Do you want to make jokes about it or you want to be honest? I want to be honest. No, because John's done more to diversify his, his coaching resume and his philosophy in the last three years than Jim's done in his entire career. Okay. So, that, I mean, there's one thing. Okay. Um, is anybody looking at the Ravens and going, John Harbaugh, you genius? No, but maybe they should to some extent, right? For what? Like, how much credit do you give someone for getting out of the way? Honestly, in uh, some in some corners of pro sports, I just started a thinking lot. about Jim Moore and a Michael lot. Vick. Ryan Nanny, thanks for coming uh, because you ended the show making me feel miserable about Atlanta sports. I wasn't even trying. This was on brand.